The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Canada going wild for cannabis. The lines are long as folks gather around to be the first to get high across the second country to fully legalize marijuana. But the high-flying pot stocks here on the home front, they're plunging. So is this a sell-the-news event, and is there even more pain ahead? We'll tell you what pot CEOs were saying today. Plus... What happened to that Netflix rally? The stock surging double digits last night right here in this show, but up only 4% today. Pete here isn't worried. In fact, he is buying the stock. You won't believe how high he sees it going. But first, we start off with some breaking news coming out of the White House. Eamon Javers is on the ground there with all the details. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that's right. The Treasury Department at this hour is once again declining to name China as a currency manipulator, manipulator as part of its official process. The Treasury Department putting out this report here at the top of the hour saying that although China's currency process uh, remains, there's not a lot of transparency around it. They're saying that direct intervention by the People's Bank of China has been limited this year, so they're not naming China as a currency manipulator. In fact, they're saying uh, that no country uh, meets the threshold under the statute uh, to be named as a currency manipulator. However, they are saying that there's a watch list to pay attention to uh, in this report. In addition to China, which is on that watch list, they're saying the monitoring list uh, comprises Japan, Korea, India, Germany, and Switzerland. So those are the countries uh, that the United States is concerned about. But officially, according to the report here, Melissa, uh, they're saying that no country meets the threshold as a currency manipulator as of right now. Uh, Eamon, in terms of being on that watch list, is there some sort of a benefit of being on the watch list as opposed to actually being labeled? And if China had been actually labeled a currency manipulator, what would the U.S. have done about that? Well, that's the really key question, right? Because we've seen this escalating question, uh, ex escalating tension between the United States and China, this trade war breaking out. The, it would be an emphasis point on the part of the United States to say, hey, you, we're officially designating you and we're going to take some action about that. Uh, but it looks like this administration not prepared to fully go there despite all the tension that we've seen. Earlier today, we did see the White House take some other action uh, that had some negative consequences for China. That goes uh, to the United States announcing that it's going to withdraw from a global postal union uh, that they said, the, the administration said, uh, was giving China too much of an advantage in terms of sending cheap packages into the United States, particularly for online retail, and also, they said, for opioids and drugs. So uh, the United States signaling it's willing to pull out of that global postal union uh, in an effort to stem some of that incoming trade from China. The idea here is that that benefited Chinese exported exporters and hurt American exporters who are trying to send packages to China. So they are willing to do some things in relation to China, but they're just not willing to go as far as to officially name China a currency manipulator. All right. Eamon, thanks. Eamon Jack. Yeah for us at the White House. Tim, what's the significance of any of this? Well, I, I think the significance is that you, you, if you label China a currency manipulator, you better look in the mirror, is, is my view. And, and so a lot of Asia, 
on, on that list. You can make an argument that there's a number of currencies that are basically trading uh, with what the Federal Reserve is doing. And I realize I, I, we're talking currencies in here. I'm talking about the Fed. But the reality is the Fed has, has flooded the world with so much money, and, and ultimately that should be a currency-weakening device. So um, the more important news today, I think, out of China, first of all, what's the yuan? The, the five-year level at around 7.0 is the level people don't want to see it break through. And, and in fact, it's right up at that level. Uh, but the big news today is Wilbur Ross saying trade talks were in hiatus, not in impasse. They're ups but, and downs, but, he said. I mean, so um, as we all know, this is not going to be something that's solved overnight. Right. And I think that's the more important point. All right, let's move on to the big story of the day. And that, of course, would be... Banks gone wild. Check out some of these moves. U.S. Bancorp up 4%. Goldman and Morgan Stanley up 3%. PNC up 2%. Financials were the best performing sector today. As the Fed says, it is staying the course. So are the banks finally out of the woods? Are we witnessing... Guys, terrible dancing, yes. But are we witnessing the great rotation from growth to value? Whoa, sit down. You're, you're Guys. watching the top of the screen. This is. I love this song. It's Vanilla Ice. Tag team. I have all his stuff. Come on. Come on, Mel. <laughs> I'm not joining in on that. I'm not condoning that. I think it's The conversation not. is about banks. It is. Well, listen, I tell you, broader market number one. I thought the market traded well. You know, Tim mentioned the Chinese news. The fact that the S&P was only down one handle on a day where the market could have given up most, if not all, of yesterday's gains, I thought was encouraging. Bank action finally starting to look pretty good. Now, you look at Goldman Sachs, which, by the way, have been negative on over the last couple weeks, but it traded well today. Tangible book in Goldman Sachs about... $169, give or take. I mean, you're talking about a stock that if one and a half times tangible book, the stock should be trading 270, 280. The one that sticks out to me, though, I believe, is Citibank. $62 tangible book, a one and a half multiple on that. If you think Europe's going to straighten themselves out, you're talking about a $90 stock. So in terms of the cheap ones, mm -hmm. I think letter C is the cheapest. Do you think we look back at these couple of days of trading and think that? Those two days, those were the days where finally banks are catching a bid. Finally, people are saying, oh, it's, it's really well-valued, they're inexpensive, and they're worth a buy. You know, as Yogi Bear would say, this feels like deja vu all over again. This is exactly what <laughs> yeah. happens with the banks every quarter. They release very good numbers in the case of J.P. Morgan. These weren't quite as heavy, and they weren't quite as optimistic on the outlook for some of the loan growth. But the bottom line is the profitability is there. These, these, these banks are giving capital back, and I'm not surprised that the market has weighed in. It, it, it often depends on where the, the cycle is also for the market overall. And, and right now, I think we're probably in a less rosy market environment, but banks fundamentally look good. I know this is the sector Dan loves to hate, so bring it on, Dan. Well, it's just an easy one to hate. They just don't <laughs> act well. And so when you They've been JP, acting pretty decent, right, uh, off the back days. of their earnings. I mean, yeah, you're so talking far. about uh, Morgan Stanley was 57 six months ago. It's 47 now. It's 43 the other day. Sentiment was horrible. You went into this print. Um, you know, so the stock bounced a little bit. It's still in a massive downtrend. So is Goldman. You guys can quote your, your valuation from here to eternity, it, does, it just doesn't matter. And I'll tell you, if J.P. Morgan is telling you that loan growth is slowing and all you have to do is look around at other parts of the market, look at the autos, look at housing, okay, look at some other consumer sort of stuff, I would take their word for it. But it may be, it may whose be word? I, I take J.P. Morgan's word for it. Well, now you want to take his word for it because it's a little bit more bearish. But I think the most interesting thing about this whole thing, though, no, Dan, so is when you look at valuation. The price action in the rest of the group X J.P. Morgan. But go ahead. Well, well there, there are some names that are actually starting to move, and I think that, that it's the beginning of something. And I think part of that, Dan, is because of the fact that it's tough to find great valuation, right? If the market's priced to perfection, which a lot of people would say it is, mm -hmm. and I mean, Lee Cooperman was talking about some of that today, but he, that doesn't mean that there aren't areas of the market 
market that can perform. And maybe this is the time for the banks to finally outperform because when you look across these earnings numbers, they were all generally very, very strong. And because of that, I think that's a reason to say, you know what, at many of these cases, you're talking about 10, time, or 10 times PE, and you look at some of these numbers, they're not bad. So because of that, with the dividend yields and with the buybacks, all of that combined, maybe it's time for the banks to start to perform. Keyword is maybe. I, right. I mean, like, so, so at the end of the well, day, none of us over know. the last year and a half, as they've underperformed, we talked about deregulation. Not we year and a half. Tax of, cuts. We talked about a lot of things. That we talked about rising interest rates. It was they have only underperformed from the previous year, Dan. That that was a huge right. run that they had in right. 2017, right? I mean, you have to agree with that. It's not been a year and a half where they haven't done anything. Last year they had a great year, and now this year has been a struggling year. Yeah. If it is banks' time to shine, then mm -hmm. is it value stock time to shine? If it's banks' time, to, would it, you go back into value and added some of these yeah, stock Yeah, yeah. Does this mean that value well, finally gonna, got the all clear? We're going to talk about Netflix and some of these other stocks. Listen, some of these growth stocks have not traded particularly well over the last couple of weeks. So maybe it is the right time to get back into some value names. But quite frankly, I mean, value names, we've looked at autos for the last year and a half saying they're value stocks, and they continue to go lower until yesterday. Airlines have been value, and they don't go higher either. So... If anything, maybe there's a trough, but I don't think it's time to go raging back in. I think value has outperformed, and I, I guess I disagree a little bit on airlines. I think airlines have had a phenomenal run. Airlines have largely moved 30% over the last few months. The, the auto stocks have been value death. Um, I think the banks have not been, they've not even been close to death. I think they're, they're, they're trading sideways. Pete makes, I think, the right point, which is that they had a significant period of outperformance. People have been very concerned on what the yield curve is doing, even though if you look at J.P. Morgan's numbers, those NIMS went up about five bips, which is a slow and steady improvement. They are levered to LIBOR. They are not necessarily levered to the yield curve. And if you listen to Jamie Dimon talk about the, the economy and the strength of the consumer, that to me is what that, that is the most important dynamic for banks. People have jobs, asset prices are higher, and, and the credit markets remain strong. Why would you run out of the banks when they're giving you back 3 or 4% of their and capital I think it's a, in addition to And I else? think it's a market where you're looking for value with growth, obviously, right? I mean, I, I am not a guy who ever says, you know what, I look for value. I look for value with growth, and I think the banks have that. Matter of fact, you look at U.S. Bank, which came out today. How about the fact that their profits and revenue were record numbers? I mean, that's something to be said about that. And it had a, it had a good reaction today. We'll see if there's follow-through. It was up like 4% today. But also, how about the pharmaceutical area? How about a lot of the healthcare world? I mean, whether it's a J&J, &J, Merck, Pfizer, those kind of names. United Health had a monster move the other day, did pull back a little bit. But I think these are the areas where you've got value with growth. I was going to say, I mean, those are, va those are value names, at least in this market. And I think that's, yeah. they, they've outperformed in the last three months the same time that the airlines have. It's been the same trade. Yeah, so you talked about, are we going to see this great rotation? And here's the thing. Okay, there's a lot of value in the market here based on, you know, um, historical valuations and relative to some other groups. So we have a group um, that are very uh, overvalued, right? And so we're starting to see that. Why did Netflix gap up 11%? It was trading at 2 14%. Uh, or, yeah, or something like that Last and close up 5.5% yeah. or something. People are starting to think about, okay, so what am I getting here at peak parts of this cycle, economic cycle? So if you're looking at things that are very economically sensitive and they're trading at a big discount to the market Is Netflix and their economically history, sensitive? I think from no, a market no, perspective it is, is, but I don't the see their stuff. business so at all. So what I'm saying being... is, why would you go into value traps if people are starting Banks, to pay attention? Autos, yeah, transport, if yeah. people are starting to pay attention to some valuation in some growth stocks. That's what I'm saying. And again, I'll, I'll go back. You know, Knock yourself out on autos. You've, yeah. I guess you've been right if you want to be. 
but but I don't agree on airlines. I don't agree on banks. I definitely don't agree on transports. Uh, you know, I mean, the rails have had a very good run. And granted, it's been a bit of a pullback in FedEx, but this has been one of the best performing stocks. A bit stocks of a pullback? It literally is trading at 52-week lows yesterday. And you want to sell it here? You want to sell FedEx? No, but what is it telling you? That's what I'm saying. So the question, Tim, and you don't listen Split to screen. Melissa, and it's Split a real screen. problem oh. here. Okay. <laughs> just I, just, I just want to be real. And he's saying that you don't listen to me. And you don't listen. True. And you don't listen. So are we about to see a great rotation? And I said that just about like the way you do, kind of barking it a little bit. I don't bark. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not even nice I, to say. I, I think we've had a go there. I think we've had a series of He didn't even say it. Here, here's I, I think we've seen multiple. We have, and we're treading water, and we could be in a topping process. And I just want to tell you what I believe last week showed us. For all of the times we said, oh, well, they rotated out of growth tech and mega cap this, and they went into these groups. Those groups are not trading well, okay? The XLF is still down 10% from its January highs. It just will not break out this year. There's nothing that's going to do it. And let me tell you something. If the MAGA stocks, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, the go. Amazon, Love they told us last week, there. if they all Where's go down Where's at the same hat? time, this market's toast. I think I, you can rotate. Last word to guy. Last word. I'm barking. I'll just say real quick. There are value traps and there are value with growth. And I think there's a distinct difference there. I think the value traps, those aren't the ones I'm talking about. Micron, right, which is down from 65 to 40. That that is trading like a value stock that once was growing and now is very cyclical. It might be calling the top. Can we put can we put Dan in a split screen with Dan right now? He's not arguing against himself. He's just arguing against anybody. Against everybody. Hey, look at that. Double the Dan. Double the guy, please. Let's round this up. I mean, in terms of Delta, I mean, Tim will back me up on this. The end of September was a $61 stock. It traded down to 51 bucks. So over the last couple of weeks, maybe I should have said airlines haven't been great. In terms of the rails, Dan brings up the railroads. You got to bring this up. Chesapeake had great numbers last night. We talked about it needing to get through 75 on the upside. CSX. That stock actually closed lower on the day. So Dan makes some cogent points. Some U.S. Bank, points. real quick, love it, loved it for a long time. Yeah. But you're talking about a money center bank now that's trading almost two times book value. They deserve the premium valuation, but at a certain point, people say maybe that's a little too expensive. Coming up, check out the move in Netflix today. It was surging last night after its earnings, but now it's uh, cut the gains up only 5% on the day. But Pete here, he isn't worried about the action. In fact, he bought this stock today. He'll explain why. And speaking of buying, Elon Musk is doubling down on Tesla. And if history is any indication, and maybe a major buy signal for the stock, we will explain. And later, prohibition for pot in Canada. That's over. The country fully legalizing marijuana. Deirdre Bose is in Newfoundland for the historic day. Hi, Deirdre. Melissa, you got to make these kinds of decisions. Moonbeam or palm tree? These are just some of the varieties on sale today as Canada ushers in its era of legal pot. We'll bring you around the country to show you some of the celebrations, including a gigantic cannabis bud that dropped at midnight. And we'll also tell you why some critics say legalization is half-baked. We'll be back in soon. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla CEO Elon Musk saying that he is going to buy $20 million worth of Tesla stock. But even with Elon's vote of confidence in the electric vehicle company, the stock still traded down about 2% today. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now with all the details. Phil. And Melissa, this announcement of Elon Musk buying $20 million worth of newly issued Tesla stock came out in an SEC filing this morning. That filing was all about the finalization of the settlement between the SEC and Tesla over the investigation into the Go Private tweet. This is the latest purchase of Tesla shares by Elon Musk. In this case, these are going to be newly issued shares. The next time there is an open period for purchasing stock, that's when the uh, purchase will take place. That comes just a few months after Elon Musk said that he would be buying $24 million in stock. That was in June. In March, he committed to buying almost $10 million worth of Tesla shares on the open market. And then in March of last year, he said that he would buy $25 million worth of Tesla shares. Elon Musk has been a regular purchaser of Tesla stock on the open market, separate from when he's been awarded stock options and grants. And one of the complaints from those who have shorted the stock is that Elon Musk has borrowed against his holdings when he has been recommitting to the company and purchasing more stock. Unclear where this money is coming from in this case with the $20 million. But as you take a look at shares of Tesla, we should note out that we went and looked at periods where Elon Musk has said, I will be buying X amount of shares. And there have been some moments where the stock has popped and moved a little bit higher that day and then settled down in other times when there's been no reaction. So it's hard to know whether or not people can look at this announcement and say, this will be a trigger for people to say, we'll buy more shares of Tesla. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. So what could this mean for Tesla stock? Now, let's recall when some other CEOs bought stock. Remember when Jamie Dimon bought 500,000 shares of J.P. Morgan shares? February 2016, that stock rallied more than 95% since famously known, <laughs> as Tim had mentioned, the Diamond Bottom. And don't forget about when Steve Wynn bet big on his casino stock in December 2015. This is something that Pete likes to refer to a lot. Wins stock bet, then rallying more than 54% six months later. So could there be upside for Tesla here? Does this signal anything? Are we reading into this? Not based on this. I mean, like, I think the main point is that, yes, he has bought on almost every equity offering. He's even bought, I think, when they've done convert offerings. But think about it. When the company's issuing new shares, it is dilutive. So he's buying it. He's just kind of trying to maybe manage some of his dilution. But ultimately, I think the most important story that we keep hearing rumors about is that this company is going to need to raise capital soon. And that's really the issue, how they do it and in what terms. So to me, he can buy whatever he wants. The stock's not going up until we have, you know, a, a fix to a $2 billion capital hole, right. in my opinion. Well, they built a, or they bought a plot of land in Shanghai to build a new factory there. They will have right. to raise money probably going in the out. Asian markets, right, for about a, probably a $2 billion facility there, right there, only in Asia, not even uh, thinking about the cash needs here in the United States. Can I ask Pete a quick question? Pete, yeah, you can ask I got a question. For, what gives a muskrat is musk, Pete? Courage. Oh. Courage. <laughs> Courage. And that's, in my opinion, what you need at this point to get long this stock. Why do anything ahead of earnings, which is going to be in about a week and a half, two weeks from now? I think it's got to recapture the 280 level, which it hasn't done. It didn't gave it right back. So I think you're playing stock market here. Pete will tell you correctly that if you want to be in it, if the options are cheap, do it that way. But to get buy stock on the back of Elon Musk, who has tremendous headline risk still, you need a lot of temerity. Nice word. To do that. Thank you, man. Wow. That's a good SAT you word. You go temerity. from like 1550 to 1570 <laughs> on the SAT with that word. Excuse me? All right. Our next guest says, stay away from Tesla. Let's go off the charts with MKM Partners technician, J.C. O'Hara. Hey, J.C. Hey, Melissa. How are you? Good. What are you looking at? 
Well, I'm taking a look at the longer term chart of Tesla because obviously we heard the news today. Elon Musk is buying shares, but the chart longer term is just not investable right here. And I'll tell you why. When you look at the longer term chart, a lot of people think of Tesla as a momentum name. And that makes sense because when you go back to 2013, the stock rallied from 28 all the way to 280. That's 900%. So ingrained in investors' heads is that tremendous run. But if you take a look and you step back, the chart hasn't really worked for you. You've been contained in a giant trading range for the last few years. Yes, uh, 2017, we made a, step, a stair step higher. But still, we've been stuck between 280 and 380 for a very long time. So is the risk or is the reward for taking the risk of trading or buying inside of a trading range? And we just don't think that's uh, the case right here. And I'll show you why. We're looking at what the average day for Tesla is compared to what the average day for the Russell 1000 is. Average update for Tesla, 2.2%. That does beat the Russell 1000 average update of just 45 basis points. That's good. That's positive. We like to see that. However, the average down day is minus 2% versus minus 0.45% for the Russell 1000. So you're getting a little bit more boost on the up day than the down day. So four to one. Does that make sense? Well, yes, it makes sense if I'm being rewarded. But if we go back to 2017, investors have not been rewarded for taking four times as much risk. Tesla is up 27%. Remember, majority of that return has come from the beginning of 2017. Year to date, Tesla is down 12%. Again, Russell 1000 since 2017 is up 29%. So I'm taking less risk on up days, less risk on down days, and I'm outperforming Tesla. Again, longer term, Tesla is just not investable right here. So let's look at some numbers. If you look at levels, again, we've pointed out, we've traded within a $100 trading range right here. What concerns us from a charting perspective is we broke down earlier this year to test the 250 level. We did that recently. We rallied back. But just look at the price action today very, very weak. Our fear is that we fail at 280, we pull back, and what happens? We enter that longer-term training range that we talked about before between 180 and 280. So which means if we break below 250, we have to consider risk to the downside to 150. So as a risk-reward perspective, it just doesn't make sense to invest in Tesla right here, in our opinion. I, I understand that this is your long-term view, JC, but from a trading perspective, it looks like 250 is a pretty good floor for the stock and that you can actually bounce up to the upper end of the range pretty regularly. I mean, is, what do you tell clients to say, look, I, I, want, I want to trade this thing? Well, if you want to trade it, this is a stock for you because, as we showed, the average update and the average down day, that's a lot of juice going in there. So if you're a day trader, this is a chart you want to be in. But if you look at the volatility here, you, we're increasing the volatility in the U.S. markets right now. We've seen increased volatility in the global markets right now. So if you're an institutional portfolio manager and you're looking to decrease the volatility of your portfolio, well, removing this stock helps you immediately. So trading, sure, you know, have fun with this. But as an investor, too much volatility, not enough reward, in our opinion. All right, JC, thanks. JC O'Hara of MKM. Pete, what do you, what do you say? Well, I'm a trader, and I actually yeah. still am holding on to a position that I put on long ago when the 420 number was floated out there, and obviously that's not looking so great. I'm way out in November. Maybe I've got a little bit of time. Maybe something happens between now and then. But the issue is, as, as a trader, I'm looking at this stock right now, and it's so different, I think, when we brought up the idea of Jamie Bond, D Diamond and Steve Wynn buying their stock. The fundamentals were there, and they were just showing everybody, hey, look, this is a stock you should be buying. We have everything in, in line. 
When you look at Tesla, it's a much different deal because obviously they're a company that's going to have to raise money. So I'm actually agreeing with you on this. I mean, actually. Well, every once in a while I have to yeah. go to the dark side. But uh, because of the fact that we're seeing what's happening right now with Tesla, they've got to raise money. And the fact that he's putting $20 million into it is not as meaningful as the days with Steve Wynn or Jamie Dimon. All right. For more on Tesla and CEO Elon Musk, you can log on to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I pass on grass all the time. Well, Canadians don't have to anymore because weed is finally legal. But that might not be such a great thing for the pot stocks. We'll explain. Plus, Pete is bringing the heat, pitching Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. And he'll tell us what has him so excited when Fast Money returns. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla CEO Elon Musk saying that he is going to buy $20 million worth of Tesla stock. But even with Elon's vote of confidence in the electric vehicle company, the stock still traded down about 2% today. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now with all the details. Phil. And Melissa, this announcement of Elon Musk buying $20 million worth of newly issued Tesla stock came out in an SEC filing this morning. That filing was all about the finalization of the settlement between the SEC and Tesla over the investigation into the Go Private tweet. This is the latest purchase of Tesla shares by Elon Musk. In this case, these are going to be newly issued shares. The next time there is an open period for purchasing stock, that's when the uh, purchase will take place. That comes just a few months after Elon Musk said that he would be buying $24 million in stock. That was in June. In March, he committed to buying almost $10 million worth of Tesla shares on the open market. And then in March of last year, he said that he would buy $25 million worth of Tesla shares. Elon Musk has been a regular purchaser of Tesla stock on the open market, separate from when he's been awarded stock options and grants. And one of the complaints from those who have shorted the stock is that Elon Musk has borrowed against his holdings when he has been recommitting to the company and purchasing more stock. Unclear where this money is coming from in this case with the $20 million. But as you take a look at shares of Tesla, we should note out that we went and looked at periods where Elon Musk has said, I will be buying X amount of shares. And there have been some moments where the stock has popped and moved a little bit higher that day and then settled down and other times when there's been no reaction. So it's hard to know whether or not people can look at this announcement and say, this will be a trigger for people to say, we'll buy more shares of Tesla. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. So what could this mean for Tesla stock? Now, 
Let's recall when some other CEOs bought stock. Remember when Jamie Dimon bought 500,000 shares of J.P. Morgan shares? February 2016, that stock rallied more than 95% since famously known, <laughs> as Tim had mentioned, the Diamond Bottom. And don't forget about when Steve Wynn bet big on his casino stock in December 2015. This is something that Pete likes to refer to a lot. Wins stock big bet, then rallying more than 54%. Six months later. So could there be upside for Tesla here? Does this signal anything? Are we reading into this? It's not based on this. I mean, like, I think the main point is that, yes, he has bought on almost every equity offering. He's even bought, I think, when they've done convert offerings. But think about it. When the company's issuing new shares, it is dilutive. So he's buying it. He's just kind of trying to maybe manage some of his dilution. But ultimately, I think the most important story that we keep hearing rumors about is that this company is going to need to raise capital soon. And that's really the issue, how they do it and in what terms. So to me, he can buy whatever he wants. The stock's not going up until we have, you know, a, a fix to a $2 billion capital hole, right. in my opinion. Well, they built a, or they bought a plot of land in Shanghai to build a new factory there. They will have right. to raise money, probably Don't in the have... Asian markets, right, for about a, probably a $2 billion facility there, right there, only in Asia, not even uh, thinking about the cash needs here in the United States. Can I ask Pete a quick question? Pete, yeah, you can ask I got a question. question for, what gives a muskrat as musk, Pete? Courage. Oh. Courage. <laughs> Courage. And that's, in my opinion, what you need at this point to get long this stock. Why do anything ahead of earnings, which is going to be in about a week and a half, two weeks from now? I think it's got to recapture the 280 level, which it hasn't done. It didn't gave it right back. So I think you're playing stock market here. Pete will tell you correctly that if you want to be in it, if the options are cheap, do it that way. But to get buy stock on the back of Elon Musk, who has tremendous headline risk still, you need a lot of temerity. Nice word. To do that. Thank you, man. Wow. That's a good SAT you went from word. The musk that to the you go temerity. from like 1550 to 1570 <laughs> on the SAT with that Excuse word. Excuse me? All right. Our next guest says stay away from Tesla. Let's go off the charts with MKM Partners technician JC O'Hara. Hey, JC. Hey, Melissa. How are you? Good. What are you looking at? Well, I'm taking a look at the longer term chart of Tesla because obviously we heard the news today Elon Musk is buying shares, but the chart longer term is just not investable right here. And I'll tell you why. When you look at the longer term chart, a lot of people think of Tesla as a momentum name. And that makes sense because when you go back to 2013, the stock rallied from 28 all the way to 280. That's 900%. So ingrained in investors' heads is that tremendous run. But if you take a look and you step back, the chart hasn't really worked for you. You've been contained in a giant trading range for the last few years. Yes, uh, 2017, we made a, step, a stair step higher. But still, we've been stuck between 280 and 380 for a very long time. So is the risk or is the reward for taking the risk of trading or buying inside of a trading range? And we just don't think that's uh, the case right here. And I'll show you why. We're looking at what the average day for Tesla is compared to what the average day for the Russell 1000 is. Average update for Tesla, 2.2%. That does beat the Russell 1000 average update of just 45 basis points. That's good. That's positive. We like to see that. However, the average down day is minus 2% versus minus 0.45% for the Russell 1000. So you're getting a little bit more boost on the up day than the down day. So four to one. Does that make sense? Well, yes, it makes sense if I'm being rewarded. But if we go back to 2017, investors have not been rewarded for taking four times as much risk. Tesla is up 27%. Remember, majority of that return has come from the beginning of 2017. Year-to-date, Tesla is down 12%. Again, Russell 1000 since 2017 is up 29%. So I'm taking less risk on up days, less risk on down days, and I'm outperforming Tesla. 
again, longer term, Tesla is just not investable right here. So let's look at some numbers. If you look at levels, again, we've pointed out, we've traded within a $100 trading range right here. What concerns us from a charting perspective is we broke down earlier this year to test the 250 level. We did that recently. We rallied back. But just look at the price action today. Very, very weak. Our fear is that we fail at 280, we pull back, and what happens? We enter that longer-term trading range that we talked about before between 180 and 280. So which means if we break below 250, we have to consider risk to the downside to 150. So as a risk-reward perspective, it just doesn't make sense to invest in Tesla right here, in our opinion. I understand that this is your long-term view, JC, but from a trading perspective, it looks like 250 is a pretty good floor for the stock, and that you can actually bounce up to the upper end of the range pretty regularly. I mean, is, what do you tell clients to say, look, I, I, want, I want to trade this thing? Well, if you want to trade it, this is a stock for you because, as we showed, the average up day and the average down day, that's a lot of juice going in there. So if you're a day trader, this is a chart you want to be in. But if you look at the volatility here, you, we're increasing the volatility in the U.S. markets right now. We've seen increased volatility in the global markets right now. So if you're an institutional portfolio manager and you're looking to decrease the volatility of your portfolio, well, removing this stock helps you immediately. So trading, sure, you know, have fun with this. But as an investor... Too much volatility, not enough reward, in our opinion. All right, JC, thanks. JC O'Hara of MKM. Pete, what do you, what do you say? Well, I'm a trader, and I actually yeah. still am holding on to a position that I put on long ago when the 420 number was floated out there, and obviously that's not looking so great. I'm way out in November. Maybe I've got a little bit of time. Maybe something happens between now and then. But the issue is, as, as a trader, I'm looking at this stock right now, and it's so different, I think, when we brought up the idea of Jamie Bond, D Diamond and Steve Wynn buying their stock. The fundamentals were there, and they were just showing everybody, hey, look, this is a stock you should be buying. We have everything in, in line. When you look at Tesla, it's a much different deal because obviously they're a company that's going to have to raise money. So I'm actually agreeing with you on this. I mean, actually. Well, every once in a while I have to yeah. go to the dark side. But uh, because of the fact that we're seeing what's happening right now with Tesla, they've got to raise money. And the fact that he's putting $20 million into it is not as meaningful as the days with Steve Wynn or Jamie Dimon. All right. For more on Tesla and CEO Elon Musk, you can log on to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I pass on grass all the time. Well, Canadians don't have to anymore because weed is finally legal. But that might not be such a great thing for the pot stocks. We'll explain. Plus, Pete is bringing the heat, pitching Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. And he'll tell us what has him so excited when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's marijuana madness in Canada today. Our neighbors to the north officially legalizing pot this morning with massive crowds gathering at stores all over the country. CNBC's Deidre Bose is in Canada in the middle of the cannabis craze. Deidre. <laughs> That's right, Melissa. That craze started right here in St. John's, Newfoundland, the easternmost part of the country, and moved west throughout the day. We saw everything from cheering lines, parties, a celebratory group wake and bake, and even a gigantic bud of cannabis, which we're going to show you, that dropped from the ceiling at midnight in Toronto. Uh, but guys, after all the celebrations, day one is almost over. Tomorrow and in the coming days, the initial high of legalization may wear off, and this country is going to be faced with some tough questions, ones involving supply constraints. We already saw some of those issues today, as well as cybersecurity when it relates to online sales. That 
Critics say could turn people back towards the black market. Critics also say that police are unprepared to deal with cannabis-impaired drivers. There's also the potential effect on the medicinal weed market. Earlier today, we actually spoke to a few people in line who said that they were having problems already sourcing medical marijuana in the lead-up to today's legalization. Now, the financial windfall as well, something to manage expectations, perhaps, because the government may not be may not get everything that it has promised. Six months into California's lead, legal weed era, the state reported far less than what was promised on their ballot measure. Now, certainly, guys, these are all issues that have been debated in Canada for weeks and years leading up to this momentous moment. But the difference is that now Canadians will have to grapple with them on a global stage with many others watching. And I know you guys are going to talk about this, but notably absent from the party today were some of the biggest cannabis stocks who perhaps took a healthy leg down or perhaps investors are contemplating some of these longer-term challenges. Melissa? All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in St. John's in Canada. Well, you would think pot stocks would be blazing, but as Deidre had mentioned instead, they're looking a little bit burned out today. Tilray, wow. Konos, Canopy, Aurora, all sinking double, you got to. We I hate mean, puns. Uh, sinking double digits <laughs> in just the past two days. Before we get to the traders, we should note that Tim Seymour is all in on this space. He's long a number of names, sits on the advisory boards for three cannabis stocks. For all of his disclosures, you can go to fast.cnbc.com. Given that, was this a sell the news event, Tim? I think it was for the big Canadian LPs. I think the news about uh, supply shortages and, and bottlenecks and operational and, and even, you know, online or, or hacks or, or I think that's noise. Uh, the reality is this is the first time this is happening. There's going to be some kinks to be worked out. When people are talking about these companies, they weren't talking about how smoothly this was going to go. And they're not talking about the numbers for the next for the first quarter. They're talking about the addressable market. They're talking about a global footprint. And they're talking about companies that have a first mover advantage in a world where you have to believe this is changing consumption trends nationally. So that's what I think this is about. We had uh, the dean evaluation on yesterday. We did, from NYU, I believe. Yes, although he's in San, San Diego. Um, but he, he makes an interesting point is that we don't really know. We can't really know what the total addressable market is. We don't I know agree. what the uptake is going to be in the consumer space. We don't know what the uptake is going to be on the recreational side. And then there's the dynamic that Deidre had talked about, and that is the black market could still reign supreme because it's cheaper to buy in the black market in general. This is in general because the government doesn't tax that. The government taxes weed when you have it federally legal, like in Canada. So there's a question of the price discrepancy. And so maybe those sales won't go to the legal channel, and we won't see that market actually expand to what it should be. Well, the two things I'd say about the black market is, first of all, a lot of the companies that are operating today at some point were operating in the black market and have legitimized businesses and have come forward. I'm not naming any of the particular companies. It's just the reality. I also think that if you can bring consistency, uh, predictability, and actually regulation to an industry where there's a lot of uncertainty, people are going to go to that market, and prices are not going to be the issue. They're not going to be the issue. Well, you know, there's a couple other things going on. I don't really know much about these companies or the supply constraints, but if you go to California where it is legal, there's a lot of businesses that are kind of booming yeah. around this. And so it's a company called Ease, E-A-Z-E, -E, that does delivery. It's kind of like the caviar or the Uber Eats of, of weed, you know. And then, is that an app on your phone? Well, no. And then their website <laughs> is um, sh built by Shopify. You know, I mean, there's a right. lot of angles here for a new market. There's going to be tons of banking yeah. opportunities and logistics. So to me, I think that's probably how you kind of focus on this. I don't know how you... So the picks and shovels as opposed to... Yeah, yes. you go, man. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, CNBC has been hitting the pot story hard today with a number of CEOs appearing on the network, including Tilray CEO Brendan Kennedy, 
community. And you said a few things about the potential size of the industry that has our cannabis king here, Tim, Hi. up in arms. So we thought it'd be a perfect time to play. Not so fast. Now, we haven't played this in a little while, so let's recap how this works. Can We're we going please? to play a clip of the interview. Whenever Tim feels like it, he'll jump in and say, not so fast. Whoa. All right, the interview oh, yeah, will pause, the stamp will appear that you see there, then Tim will elaborate on his point. So are you ready, Tim? Yeah, I think I'm, I, I've never been more ready, actually. All right, let's roll the tape. Let's go, roll the tape. I think the total addressable market over the next five to 10 years globally is 150 to 200 billion. And I think you'll see a handful of companies um, dominate part of that industry, let's say 80%. I think it looks more like beer than, uh, than, in, than any other industry that I can think of. And so if th three or four companies um, control you know, 150 billion in terms of market share, uh, you, can, you can get to two or three companies that have a $100 billion market cap. Hold, hold on, Just like, not, not, not so fast. Let, can, we, can we stop it? Thank you. Um, some really important points here. First of all, he's saying that three or four companies are going to dominate and they're going to be north of $100 billion. Now, Tilray, by the way, is a $15 billion company, and a lot of people think that that, that valuation is difficult right here. Um, I, I think the point is that what is the total addressable market cap? And when you hear uh, Mr. Kennedy talk about this market, I, I'm just hearing really the recreational vertical. I don't think this is getting into OTC pain. I don't think this is getting into biopharma. I don't think this is getting into nutraceuticals. So um, I think it's extraordinary to think that only a couple of these guys are going to make it out of this. And I think he may be absolutely right. If you think about the operators now that are moving forward, and there's some in the U.S. that not a lot of people know, at, know about that have run very efficiently, have built their businesses on not a lot of capital, and actually may be the biggest guys that nobody knows about. So be careful and watch out for those names. So let's, I tell you what, let's, let's keep moving and move on to the next point. I also think that we're in a uh, really interesting position where Every CEO, every uh, chief strategy officer at every other alcohol company and every other functional food and beverage company and every other pharmaceutical company is looking at this industry. They, they so, have so not so fast. Stop, stop for a second. Um, so, first of all, to put this into context, you know, if you think about it, Jim Cramer actually had uh, part of this interview earlier where he asked uh, CEO Kennedy, Brandon, hey, what do you think about the Amazon of, or at least, you know, they've been referenced to be the Amazon of the cannabis world, uh, the Constellation Canopy Partnership, and how do you expect to compete with them? And, and ultimately, if you think about it, again, it gets back to who do you think really is, is going to be winning out? Is it the guys that actually have built uh, an enormous cash pile? And, and I would make an argument that a pile of cash without making good decisions is, is the way a lot of capital is eradicated. I would not suggest that that's what's happening with Constellation, uh, but I would say that you have to be careful just the cash-rich guys are not the only ones. But I say this again. If Diageo is coming into this market and, and, and Pfizer is coming into this market, they're doing two different things in this industry. That's what's exciting for a Tilray. Let's keep moving. Let's finish this off. How they're going to respond to Constellation. And so that puts us in a very good place uh, in terms of having those conversations. Uh, really quickly, by the way, some big news after the bell. Um, uh, that Mr. Sands is actually stepping down as the CEO and, and actually Bill Newlands is going to be taking over. Interesting that actually Newlands was on the panel with uh, Mr. Linton and Jim Cramer on Saturday, so I think some of this transition was already underway. I don't think this changes the story at all, but it's big news for people that have been following the sector because Constellation is the big gorilla. Pete, picks and shovels or marijuana produce growers? 
I own Constellation for exactly some of the reasons that Tim has brought up in terms of what they've done there. But also, they have had a great business before they decided to jump in there. And I think that mix is going to be something going forward that's going to be great. All right. Still ahead, chip stocks have gone and crushed as the SMH Semiconductor ETF falls more than 10% from its recent high. It could be about to get worse for one of these sinking chips. We'll explain. Plus, Pete here is going to step up to the plate. He's getting ready to pitch one stock that he oh, says he's screaming by right now. It's already up 100% this year. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Last October, Pete here stepped up to the plate to pitch Home Depot. Huh. 35% of their outstanding stock has been bought back in the last 10 years. That's massive. They've been aggressive. And take a look at that chart. It gives you a little idea. Is the stock at highs? Yes, it is. Do they have growth? Yes, they do. This is a stock that I think goes a lot higher from here. Despite falling more than 4% on a credit suite downgrade today, shares of Home Depot are still up nearly 12% since Pete's call last October. So. What are you doing with Home Depot now, Pete? I still think you, you can own this stock. I, I actually read through that. I saw the pullback, of a huge pullback today. I think that creates an opportunity because, actually, the stock had already pulled back from the highs of over 200, 210. And, actually, I, on this downgrade, where it is now, I think valuation-wise, it's exactly what you want, given the growth that they've got. All right, Home Depot is a home run, so why don't you step back up to that? Come on, buddy. Come on, Come on go. See. We're going over the top, guys. When I say over the top, you know where I'm going. I'm talking about Netflix. We already teased this son of a gun out. Here's the thing. When you look at the management, who's the founder of this company? Oh, it's the same guy who's continuing to run this thing, Reed Hastings. He's done a fantastic job. Just go back and take a look at this company in 2012, where it was trading there then and where it's trading now. I think he's done everything right and has executed almost to perfection. They've had a few hiccups here and there, but overall it's been fantastic. The content production. Now, when you're looking at what this com company's doing right now, they're creating so much content. They're doing it overseas. And actually, some of the content that they are now converting over, it went from 15% to 25% of their revenue. So that's something very impressive as well. Now, let's talk about some of the strengths that they've really got. They have growth. Oh, boy, do they ever have growth. They just beat by a million subscribers this past when they reported last night. That's pretty unbelievable, really. So when you look at that, where are they getting the biggest gains? Obviously, it's international. They've got growth geogra geographically as well. When we talk about India and China and some of those places, a lot of people said they couldn't grow there. They are growing there, and they're going to grow even faster, I think, going forward. They will be free cash flow positive by 2021, but they are spending a lot of money. That's the concern. They traded a high P.E. I get it, but their revenue growth is there. I think this is a company that actually can regain that 400 number in the not too distant future. Pedro, love your work on the CNBC. I have a question for you. you know, you. Even Reed Hastings mentioned it. Competition. Does that yeah. concern you? Well, I think they own it. They've got a big moat, and so because of that, take a look at that chart. They've got a moat guy, and I think their ability to show that they can actually get that content out there that, that I'm talking about, I think they put, that puts them way in front of everybody else. And by the way, when you look at broadband, that is going to be a huge catalyst. As that is built out, that catalyst is going to be a monster for them internationally. All right, time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Netflix? Tim's still drawing, so I'll start with Guy. Look what I wrote, Petey. And chill. What and that chill. Is that a you buy know what it means, Mel. Is that a Don't buy listen. Don't feign ignorance with me. It's a big buy. <laughs>
Um, Dan. Okay. Uh, you know, Pete just said Netflix and spill here. Um, the fact that you said it was amazing that they beat by a million subs. Well, they lo they missed by a million subs last quarter, and so I just think that you're going to have a lot of spotty, you know, subscribers, especially as. Growth comes from overseas, so I, I just don't like this one. I'm shocked. I would have thought chill was a bad thing along with spill. spill That's what's confusing to me. Netflix and spill. Okay. Spill is a bad chill, chill is, is a, a good thing. Spill is right. a bad thing. Tim. Well, I Break tell you the what, I'm not chilling or spilling. I'm, I'm selling this, uh, and it would be crazy for me to, first of all, I, I corrected well, a very... Is that Colonel Sanders? He was trying to draw another that, finger. It was almost like I was giving him the bird again. Apparently, I was accused yesterday or a couple it days ago. It didn't look him, like a finger. Or it looked a like a, a finger. bad finger. I can't vote for Netflix. I've been negative on the stock for a long time. I think the cash burn gets worse next year. I think the valuation's absurd. I think there's enormous competition, and the moat doesn't exist to me. Been wrong. Wow. Gonna right. stay wrong. It looks she's, like Burl Ives' picture. It's so, almost a He looks winter. like he has no arms. Like he's just like there, like you know, like this. Well, alligator arms. Yeah, like yeah, well, it's well, weird. It's like when I go out just to dinner again. with guys. See, it's like there's no arms. <laughs> alligator <laughs> arms. He can't get in there. Where is that thing? <laughs> What's wrong with it? All right, two thousand one yeah. buy on the desk. Oh, yeah. Are you at home buying Pete's pitch for Netflix? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. <laughs> we'll reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, wait, wait, wait. Where did Tim and Guy go? There they are. Tim and Guy are in the green room. They're trying to impress a creator of the biggest esports league on the planet. Newsflash, old school Nintendo doesn't count as esports, guys. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, a major global esports tournament underway that could shape up to be the biggest competition ever in the space. This emits a huge growth year for the competitive gaming industry. Josh Lipton's ready to get his game on from San Francisco. Hey, Josh. Mel, let's start with the video game publishers, because so far this month, in the red, Activision, Electronic Arts, and Take-Two all losing some steam here. Piper's Mike Olson says, for one, higher multiple stocks did get hit hard in that market pullback. We know that. Two, typical seasonality. Investors get excited, but then don't always stick around for when the games actually publish. And this is a crowded title slate this year, so some investors might be concerned about wallet share getting stretched too thin, he says. I also checked in with Michael Pactor of Wedbush. Bottom line, he says such worries are misplaced, that investors should expect a strong holiday season with lots of new compelling content. He rates all three big publishers a buy. Activision and Take-Two still up strongly on the year. It's not just about the holidays, though. Investors in these companies also interested in how they're capitalizing on esports, and for good reason. The total audience for esports this year, 395 million. That is a jump of 18 percent, according to NewZoo. And esports revenue will reach 900 million dollars in 2018. That's a 37 percent jump. One important player in this market, League of Legends, published by Tencent-owned Riot Games. League of Legends is the biggest and most watched esports league according to New Zoo. In fact, the 2018 League of Legends World Championship is going on right now in Korea. The winner will raise the trophy there on November 3rd. Last year, 80 million unique viewers watched the semifinals. Mel, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. For more on the current state of esports, let's bring in one of the creators of the world's biggest league. Chris Hopper is the head of North America Esports at Riot Games, the publisher behind League of Legends. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I understand you go by Chopper, so... Um, Shopper. You've been at Riot for, for a long time, so you've seen certainly yeah. the progression of the league and the competition and the interest in esports. Um, 
as esports goes more corporate, it gets sponsors, <laughs> et cetera. Mm -hmm. How does that change the, the look and the feel of the tournaments and what you guys are able to do? You know, what's really great about esports is we're able to capitalize so much on traditional sports. And we're able to look at the decades of growth that baseball and basketball and football have had. And in a lot of ways, we're able to look at that and say, how are these guys able to integrate sponsors without losing what made those sports special? And so we're trying to do the same with esports. We're trying to keep the community incredibly passionate. We're trying to keep that tight connection to the players. We're trying to keep them aspirational in, in the sense that they can become these pro players themselves. We're trying to shorten the loop between their gameplay at home and the pro play they see on stage. And, and in a large way, sponsors don't actually detract from that. A lot of our fans actually support sponsors coming into the space because they want to see more investment into, into the ecosystem. So we've actually seen threads on Reddit saying, we want more ads. We want more title sponsors. Like, give us more because it supports the industry that they love so much. How does it help Riot? I mean, Riot basically spent $100 million every year in esports for the last few years. That's my CFO so, reminds Still haven't broken even, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what sort of phase are you at right now? And do you foresee a time in the near future where you will break even? Absolutely. I mean, you know, when we built esports initially, it was built on a value premise to our fans. And so in a sense, it was kind of the field of dreams model. We, we figured if we built it, they would come. And they did come. Millions of them came. But we never thought about who kind of pays to keep the lights on in the cornfield, in a sense. And now we're dealing with that problem. And so we're developing a lot of the capabilities of working through sponsorships, getting better distribution and content deals, uh, and really kind of leveling up the monetization element, because we always want to avoid putting the burden on the fans. It would have been super easy to just, you know, slap a paywall on there, you right. know, make this a pay-per-view event. But from the start, we wanted to remove that economic burden to increase accessibility to the fans. So we kind of went, we went the hard way, but, you uh -huh. know, we're, we're gaining that ground back now. So what are some of the levers that you can pull in order to increase your profitability and does Tencent, which is a publicly traded mm -hmm. company, which has not been doing well because it's listed in China, um, are they putting some pressure on you? Uh, no, Tencent's been a great partner from the start with esports. They're actually our, our esport operator as well in China. So they help to operate the Chinese league called the LPL, which is one of the most successful leagues in the world. Um, you know, from our side, the main levers that we're trying to pull are with sponsorships and also with our content distribution. So we work with partners like Tencent, or, uh, sorry, Twitch, YouTube, ESPN Plus to put our content out. Different regions globally are working with, you know, Naver, Huya, QQ, depending on region. Um, and for us, it's about finding the right partners to work with who are going to help us monetize against the value that our audience brings without pushing the economic burden back to that audience. So we recently announced a global partnership with MasterCard that's been uh, very well received. Uh, we've worked with partners like Acer, State Farm, uh, Jersey Mike's this year. And, you know, we've got a lot on, on the play for 2019 that we're really excited to kind of ramp into. Well, we hope you'll come back and keep us posted, Chris. Absolutely. Would love to. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Chris Hopper. Of Riot. Chopper. 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 Well, it's interesting, you know, obviously I think the demographic for esports, either players and viewers, is, is pretty finite, right? And it's also that kind of Netflix and spill sort of category, too. So I wonder at some point if we start seeing this as it's just growing like crazy, kind of take its, you know, take some share from some of these other forms of entertainment ultimately. And I think it seems like it's kind of here to stay. Um, but the most interesting thing is like the advertising opportunities, the sponsorship opportunities, yeah. that's kind of growing that online ad pie and I think that's also pretty interesting. Coming up it's a semi smackdown the ones high flying group down around six percent in the last month. There could be more pain ahead we'll explain plus let's get a sneak peek into the Mad Money studio with our Kramer cam. Tonight Jim is talking about why the fang names could be gearing up for a rally that is at the top of the hour on Mad. Much more fast money still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money with earnings season in full gear. There's one beaten down chip stock that could see some interesting moves when it reports before the bell tomorrow. Dan's over at the plasma to break it down. Dan. Yeah, it's Taiwan Semi, Mel. This is a big one, actually. I think it's a big one for the space in general. Taiwan Semi has actually had a big move off its lows. It's still well off its highs. The options and market is implying about a 4% move in either direction for Taiwan Semi between now and the end of the week. SMH, that's the semiconductor ETF. Taiwan Semi is the largest holding of that ETF at about 11%. Look what else is in there. Intel's at about 11% and all the other big daddies, right? So the SMH, the implied move, is about 2% on this Taiwan Semi print between uh, now and the end of the week. What's really interesting, though, about the SMH to me is that you have a scenario where Taiwan Semi's earnings um, are important because Apple is a 17% customer. There's their largest customer, Broadcom, um, Qualcomm. AMD, NVIDIA, um, uh, Texas Instruments, all customers of Taiwan Semi. This is going to dictate the next move here. But today in the SMH, there was some buying and some puts looking out to November. It's going to capture all of these semiconductor earnings. There was 3,000 of the Nov 95 puts that were bought at about a, a 143 average. And I just want to go to the SMH chart here, why I think this is really interesting. We've been talking about this thing for a while. It's kind of been topping out, right? It's been kind of moving down in this downtrend for the better part of 2018. Look where it stopped the other day. 95. This seems like big support for 2018, so that may be some protection below 95. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, the poll results on Pete's oh, pitch Pete. and the final trades. Serious question. You know what Pete yeah. likes to stream on Netflix? Tony Braxton's yeah, Unbreak baby. My Heart because America is not buying Pete's pitch. Yeah, not happy about this. Time this for the final trade. It is. Final trade Petey. You know what? Sorry, guys, but I'm going to go there again. Netflix. I think this thing's going higher. Giddy up. There. Tony Braxton. <laughs> love Asia Tech. Love Taiwan. Uh, excuse me. Love Tencent. Not Taiwan Semi. Tencent. Thank you. Dan. Um, I absolutely see no reason to buy Netflix here, especially up 80-some percent of the year. I would stay far and wide from this. Take a look at early 19. Take their final yeah, trade and shove it. That's great. Myers That does it for us. See back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.